This morning, with our sermon, we are picking up in John chapter 10 with what is essentially part two. That last week we looked at verses 1 through 10 and we looked at how the shepherd or the, how the sheep see their shepherd. So how do the sheep see their shepherd? We looked at how we should see Jesus as our good shepherd who cares for us by providing for us and by protecting us. And that we follow this shepherd today by trusting in his under shepherds, his pastors and elders that serve us as under shepherds. We humbly serve the flock in the name of Christ. And so we looked at this sheep shepherd relationship from the perspective of the sheep. But just like with the book I shared with the kids in the children's message, it's nice every once in a while to take a different perspective. And so today we are looking at this relationship from the perspective of Jesus. How does the shepherd see his sheep? That's our focus today. And so if you would, you can open up your bulletins or your Bibles. We're in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11 and going through verse 29. This speech seems to get interrupted, and yet it all kind of flows together that we are told in the middle of it that Jesus is at the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication would have been their celebration of Hanukkah that we understand today, hence why it was winter there. Uh, But it is that feast, so if you're like, I don't remember reading about a Feast of Dedication. Well, that's because that story is in the books we don't include in the Bible but that's a story for another day. So Jesus is here talking about sheep and shepherds in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 29. Let us hear the word of God. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? 
If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we give thanks for Your Word. We thank You that in Your Word You open up for us how You see us. That You give us a glimpse into how You view Your people. And we pray, O oh God, that You would help us to know better how You love us. I ask, O oh Lord, that You would use me today in spite of my own sin to proclaim Your Word faithfully to do so clearly, understandably, O God. And I pray that You would give us all ears to hear. That Your Word might go forth and the evil one would not pluck it up before it can be received, but that it would fall on fertile soil in our hearts and minds and so grow and bear fruit for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Looking at our passage and how Jesus views his sheep, I want us to look at two things first, two very important things that Jesus tells us in the passage. One, how he identifies which sheep belong to him, and then how he views his responsibility towards those who are his. And then we're going to finish up by really diving into two truths that give us great assurance of God's love. So first, one of the very important tasks of every shepherd is, hey, which sheep are mine? I need to know which sheep belong to me. And so a good shepherd must know which sheep are responsible to him, that he is responsible to care for. And Jesus says in verse 14, I know my own and my own know me. So Jesus knows which sheep belong to him. Last week we read that Jesus calls his sheep by name, so he knows his people individually, like, a fa like the father knows the son and vice versa. And so there is this real relational knowledge between the shepherd and his sheep, that he knows who they are. But this knowledge has to be lived out. It has to be seen. It has to be practically implemented. See, I know which children are mine, but when I'm watching a game on the soccer field and there's all these kids the same height wearing the same uniforms around, I have to identify which of those kids that I know to be mine is mine. And so similarly, Jesus tells us, I know who my sheep are and here's how I can identify them as well. And so just like shepherds will use tags or markings for their animals to keep track of them, Jesus does as well. One commentator puts it this way, that in Jesus' day, shepherds would mark their sheep by a special notch in their ear. But Jesus places two marks on his sheep, one on the ear and one on the foot. And we see those marks in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them 
and they follow me. So when Jesus looks at his sheep, he sees people who hear his voice. To hear his voice means that we obey that voice. We trust what he tells us. And so when he calls his sheep, his sheep's heads turn, ready to listen, ready to obey their master's voice. As believers, this is an important mark of our faith. That we should hear the voice of Jesus in the Bible, both in our personal study and in the preaching and teaching of our local church. And Jesus knows that his sheep will hear his voice. They will believe, they will obey his words. It's one of the marks of those he knows are his. Then the mark on the foot, if that's the mark of the ear, is that Jesus knows his sheep will follow him. They will obey his commands to love one another, to care for the poor, to repent of their sins and deny those sinful desires. And so if we say we believe in Jesus, but we don't strive to obey him, then we need to question whether or not we are truly one of his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep will follow him. Now, that doesn't say every sheep will follow quickly. It does not say that the sheep won't get distracted or slip and fall into danger, they certainly will. But Jesus knows His people will seek to follow His commands by the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit. And so these two marks of hearing His voice and following Him help distinguish Christ's people, His flock, from those who don't belong to Him. We hear Him talking to people that clearly don't belong to Him. That they reveal they don't belong to him because they don't believe in him. Some go so far as to call him demonic. Even though Jesus had given them enough evidence to believe in him. And so they say, please tell us, please tell us. So that we can then twist those words and get you in trouble. They don't really want to believe. If they did, they would have already started believing. And so Jesus explains this rejection, how he knows not only who are his, but who are not his. He does that in verse 26. He says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Now, we need to stop and stare at these words because I think we are tempted to breeze by these words and think in our minds which a kind, with a kind of like theological dyslexia that it says the opposite. It says them in backwards order. That we expect Jesus to say, you are not among my sheep because you don't believe. That's what we think it should say. We think it should say that the unbelief is the reason why someone isn't one of Jesus' sheep. But Jesus says the opposite. He says unbelief reveals that someone is not one of his sheep. That you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. And so their status as his sheep was decided prior to their belief, or to use a more biblical term, predestined. This concept of predestination lingers behind the passage, especially in verse 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. 
He's referring there to Gentile believers whom he will gather together with the believing Jews to be the one shepherd over the one people of God. And even though these other Gentile sheep have not yet believed in Jesus, he still considers them his sheep. He is certain they will listen to his voice because they are his sheep. And so Jesus tells us in this passage how he sees which sheep are his. He knows who they are even before they believe. And their identity as his sheep is revealed through their belief, through their hearing his voice and following him. And so that's how looking at a crowded field of sheep, Jesus goes, these are mine. And so if that's how he does that, let's think then about how he views his responsibility towards those who are his own sheep. And so Jesus calls himself the good shepherd here, and he compares himself to a hired hand. Now, we need to be very careful here because he uses hired hand as a negative example. He's contrasting himself with the hired hand, that he is better than the hired hand. But the hired hand is not terrible, okay? Last week, we heard about thieves and robbers. The hired hand is better than the thieves and robbers. The thieves and robbers didn't care anything for the sheep. They were using the sheep. But the hired hand is willing to do good work. The hired hand is willing to care for the sheep. You could compare them to the teachers or child care workers who are paid to educate and take care of our children. Our kids' teachers do an excellent job. But their love for my son is not the same as my love for my son. And so Jesus is comparing himself to these hired hands who do not own the sheep. And the hired hands, he says, will do a good job as long as the cost to themselves is not too great. And so he imagines this scenario where a wolf comes and threatens the flock of sheep. And the hired hand flees because the sheep are primarily a job to the hired hand. They are not owned by the hired hand. They are not his own sheep, and therefore Jesus says the hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. The abandonment of the hired hand endangers the sheep. And so Jesus says, I am different. I am the good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep. Where the hired hands would flee, Jesus says later in this passage, no one will snatch my sheep out of my hand. That wolf's coming, but it's not getting his sheep. The sheep will be safe and secure with Jesus no matter what. And so what makes him such a good shepherd here is the level of responsibility he feels towards his own sheep. He cares for them as his own. And he treasures them deeply because his father has entrusted them to his care. We see this responsibility is intensified in verses 17 and 18, where he not only says he is willing to die for his sheep, like all good shepherds would be, but he intends to lay down his life for the sheep. See, good shepherds are willing to fight off the wolf. They're willing to risk their lives. They're not willing 
to intend to die. Jesus, however, pledges to purposely die for his sheep, saying that he will lay it down of his own accord. And he will do so in obedience to his father's command because he loves his sheep. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's silly. If you die, the sheep have no shepherd. It's no different. But Jesus says he not only has the authority to lay down his life, but he also has the authority to take it back up again. And that audacious statement is what led the crowds to say he was oppressed by a demon. And yet we, knowing the full story, understand the purpose of his dying and raising up his life. It is by his death and resurrection that Jesus truly saves and protects his sheep, giving them eternal life that can never be taken from them. And so Jesus calls himself the good shepherd because he has this responsibility for those who are his sheep. And we can see him like in the Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy 26, looking at his sheep and saying, you are my treasured possession. That he feels a duty towards his sheep, but a duty that is fulfilled out of genuine love and compassion for his people. Now, as we consider how Jesus sees people in this passage, we who believe in Jesus should stop. Should stop and really let this soak in how Jesus feels for his sheep. To deeply appreciate what he says here. And so to do that, I want to hold up two truths in this passage that strengthen our joyful assurance of Christ's love for us. Two ways we can be sure of his love. Sadly, these two truths have been viewed negatively by some who believe in Jesus. When in fact, they are vital sources of comfort to God's people. And so the first truth this passage tells us that we should press into more deeply is that Jesus died for his sheep. Now you might, you just, you just said that. You, we talked about, he said he was, no, no, listen closely. Jesus died for his sheep. Jesus knew who he was dying for. He was dying with his sheep in mind. He was not dying with all people in mind, but with his sheep in mind. Jesus did not die so that a pathway would be open that people might go through. He did not die so he could open up a salvation stand where he could give out salvation to all who came to him. Jesus in this passage says he died in order to save those whom the Father gave him to save. This truth is often called limited atonement or particular atonement, meaning that Jesus intentionally died for particular people. Those whom God chose to save, which then would be seen as limiting the extent of what he did only to those whom he saved. And some people are uncomfortable with that. And I understand the idea of limiting anything Jesus did seems really like not a good idea. 
But if you flip it around, if Jesus died for the whole world and so many haven't believed, that sure makes it seem like Jesus didn't do what he wanted to do. That his blood is wasted, spilled out on the ground, not saving anyone. Yes, John 3.16, Jesus died to save the world. But that also means that his salvation goes beyond Judaism. To people of every nation, that this salvation is available to those in the flock of Judaism and those from outside, like many of us, whom he is bringing into the one people of God from all over the world. And Jesus died for the redemption of all creation. Now, yes, Jesus' death was sufficiently powerful that it could have saved all. And yes, the gospel is extended to all people that we want all to believe. But it is for those who come to faith, showing they were of those whom the Father had chosen and has called to faith. Now, I get it. This, this can seem uncomfortable in some ways, seeming to exclude people from the cross. And yet what we should see is the purposeful, loving cost of what Jesus did. Our closing hymn that we'll sing after the sermon puts this really beautifully. It says this. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her, and for her life, he died. That her is the church. It's his flock. Jesus didn't die for just anyone who might. He died for his sheep. How precious is it to know that Jesus died with you in mind? How wonderful is it to know that you in particular, He cares about more than His own life. Jesus Christ died for His sheep because He loves each and every one of His sheep enough to give His life for them. And so if you believe in Jesus, that's how your shepherd sees you. He came and died for you in particular. So that's the first big truth I want to hold up and just let us really soak in today. The second truth is that no one can snatch a sheep from this shepherd's hand. In verses 28 through 29, we read this, that I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Now, we're going to touch on the whose hand issue because we're talking about Jesus' hand and the Father's hand here when we pick up the rest of chapter 10 and the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Trinity. But for today, let's just agree that we're safe in the hand of our shepherd. Okay? This truth here that we are safe in the hand of our shepherd is often called the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints. It means that those people whom God truly saves will remain saved until the end. That you cannot lose the salvation God has given you. Now, people, again, understandably, 
object to this idea that some people appear to fall away. Yes, some people do appear to fall away. As we've touched on in previous weeks, that these are instances where either that person will eventually come back revealing that they were truly saved in the first place or they will remain far away revealing they had never been truly saved in the first place. But the way Jesus presents this truth helps us see how absurd the idea of losing your salvation is. It implies that God is not powerful enough to keep us saved. John Calvin puts it this way, the salvation of all the elect is as certain as God's power is invincible. This is what Jesus is saying in verse 29. He says, the Father is greater than all. So he is saying, if you are in that hand, that hand that is greater than everything else in all the world, what's getting you out of that hand? Like really, what, what do you think is going to get you out of that? If he has grabbed you out of sin and saved you, good luck finding something that's going to get you out of that hand. That's what Paul wrote about in Romans 8. Our New Testament reading. What can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Just nothing. He gives us examples. Time cannot separate us. Time has no effect on God. Death can't separate us. Christ rose from the dead and God is the giver of life. Sin's not going to separate you. Sin cannot snatch a true believer because God defeated sin in the death of Jesus Christ. No earthly power is going to snatch you here on this world, no matter the biggest, baddest dictator, biggest bully at school. No, no spiritual power, no devil, no angel, no nothing. It's not happening. Not even you. Not even you with all of your foolish, sinful, rebellious tendencies. We cannot wriggle ourselves out of God's hand. My kids are experts in this. Like I grab their hand, just whoop, it's like it's covered in butter. No, that we can't. Our sin is not going to grease us up enough that we slip out of God's hand. It is not happening. So you who believe in Jesus will be preserved until the end by God's almighty power and infinite love that nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Nothing can loosen his grip on you, that you are safe. In your shepherd's hand. And so if you believe in Jesus, that's how he sees you. Safe. In his hand. Never going anywhere. Jesus is this good shepherd who knows his own sheep. He is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the shepherd who holds us in his hand that nothing can snatch us. And so if you believe in Jesus, cherish the love your shepherd has for you. Give thanks that you have a shepherd like this. Hear his voice in his word today and rejoice in the assurance he gives you. And if you don't believe in Jesus today, know that this does not mean that you're not in his flock. He is still calling his flock together. He is still gathering them 
into his fold. And some sheep come sooner than others. Yet all those whom God has chosen will come. And so perhaps today is the day you are hearing his voice like you haven't heard it before. Perhaps today you are hearing it. Come to the Good Shepherd. Trusting that the promises that He makes are true. That we will follow Him. That we will know Him as our shepherd. That He will know us as His sheep. And that we have a Good Shepherd who takes so very good care of His sheep saying, I give them eternal life. No one can take it away. Let us pray. Amen. Lord, we ask that You would be with us this day. We pray that You would give us who believe in Jesus a joyful assurance. An assurance of Your love that deep down there are parts of us. There are thoughts in our mind that the evil one has set there that make us think You don't really love us. That these promises are too good to be true. Holy Spirit, by the power of Your Word, convince us we are wrong. Assure us of Your love and the security we have in Your hand. And may that give us joy. Joy that results in greater obedience and love for You. Not joy that results in thinking we've got it made and can just sit back and do whatever we want. No, may we not fall that way. But give us joy. And I pray, Lord, for those who do not know You, who do not know Your voice, I pray that You would open their hearts to believe. That You promise that those who are Your sheep will believe. They will follow You. They will hear Your voice. And so, I got, God, I pray that they would hear Your voice. That they would come to believe and so be saved with an eternal and secure salvation. One that we rejoice in and celebrate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.